Hi guys, please help support Best Candy Ever by giving it a thumbs up, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, share this on your story, tag me, and let's have a good time. So this is obviously when they were in River in um, California. And on the back, let's see, $25 pre-sale tickets are very limited. $25. After the first batch moves up to 30, then 35. The last batch of tickets will be $40. That's as expensive as EDC ever got. Candy fam, what is up? Welcome to this super special episode. Today, I have a very special guest on the pod. He I, th- I thought it was amazing when I discovered him on TikTok, only come to find out that he also has a YouTube and is just a phenomenal candy kid, but also is someone that I'm very excited to interview. Please welcome Poob, aka Zach. Hello, my name's Zach, and um, I actually discovered this podcast because Mood Candy came on it, and she recommended me to be here, and I started watching the episodes, and they're really fun, and I'm excited to be here, especially because I have so many different things to talk about, because I've been in the LA underground rave scene since 2009 or so. I've only been to one festival. What? Are you serious? Just one? Yep. It was Dream State. That was it. Oh my gosh. Do you want to go to more or is it something that like you just like you don't like it or is there a reason that you've only been to one? So it was kind of so this kind of follows the history line in between when I first got in in 2009, the 2006 era leading into 2009 was the beginning of massives where they kind of well they weren't called festivals yet they were called massives and they were kind of bunched together um, with the underground scene. It was kind of like a down upon because it was mostly pop culture that was kind of mixed into it, but the LA underground wasn't quite like that yet by 20 uh 2010 to 2014 was when it became like bro step culture you know that really kicked right. in the super mainstream big room house the the term edm really came into the picture and especially when people introduced trap into the rave scene which isn't inherently bad in itself but it kind of created a divide between what was mostly candy kid ravers and uh, festival kids, which are more like the dude bros who bought like t-shirts from Spencer's types of things that said like fuck bitches or something weird. Um, so I never wanted to go to one because the energy was entirely different. It's culminating so much better now um, that I actually, my very first festival dream state was two years ago. That was like, that's when I decided like, Oh yeah, that's a good time to start because underground rave and festival culture is actually starting to uh, align more with its virtues and uh, music variety. I definitely agree with that. And I think that you chose a really good one to attend uh, because it is, you know, like trance and it is that I think it's definitely a, a loving environment for sure. I mean, I think that the majority of them are now, but I think it's really interesting that you say that because I've had a lot of guests um, come on the podcast and tell me that they think that candy and candy kids are dying. How do you feel about that statement? Man, okay. I honestly don't think it's dying, um, but most people who do have that perspective generally 
just aren't in that subsect of rave because when it comes to the LA underground rave where a lot of the candy kids are, we maybe have a Facebook page just to advertise the event, but we drop a phone line to get the address or it's tell a raver. You, you got to tell somebody what the address is. Like word of mouth. Yeah. It's, and it's thriving like crazy there. Um, and trading is still very big. We're always introducing new people. The only aspect I can think of is people's nicknames aren't as big of a deal. Because I remember back in yeah 2009, um, everybody had like their raver name. It was like, like my friend Flapjack. I have Rabbit, Dayglow, Fox, and Maple, and all sorts of Terra Bear, all sorts of cute names. But I don't see that part anymore. But the object of candy, I honestly think that not only is it still going, but I feel like it's actually kind of evolving into more things. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Um, That's one of the main reasons why I started this podcast to um, even begin with, because I feel like the the spirit of candy definitely lives on. And I think it's something that is just passed down like from generation to generation, despite of people saying that they think it's dying, whatever. Um, But to kind of like rewind a little bit, can you tell us about when you first started going to, I guess, underground, like LA underground events? Yeah. Okay. So my first party was this party called We Love Because We Love You. And the flyer had a little picture of Caillou, but he had like a bunch of candy on and he had oh, like cartoon? little clips. Yeah, the like, little kids cartoon Caillou. Um, it was out in the desert um on the edge of Edwards Air Force Base. And like literally it was on the fence of it. People parked their cars against the barbed wire fencing to the Air Force Base out in Lancaster. And Um, I had always been into back in like 2006 or so, I was always into like all the internet rave music, like nightcore and random miscredited songs with little dancing pictures of like Gurr from Invader Zim on them. And, um, (laughs) when I, and I was 14 at the time, Ooh, this is actually a part I should probably explain too. And I wanted to go and my stepdad was actually like, yeah, sure. Because I, around that exact time. I learned that my dad, my stepdad was actually a 1998 to 2001 candy rave person. Shut um, up. Yeah. He's, um, um, have you ever seen that, um, EDC 2000 movie that's going on? It's like EDC from the year 2000. Not the one on Netflix, not the documentary. No, it's, um, it's literally a VHS tape that Insomniac produced in the year 2004 EDC 2000. And it like walks you through the original EDC back when it was out in the far North desert of California. Did you see VHS? (laughs) Yeah, I actually have it. Hold on. (laughs) My dad is in this tape. Holy shit. Electric Daisy Carnival. This it is, is like a, a, a like a trip down memory lane. This is like a little <laughs> time capsule in your hands. Holy crap. Yeah, I have tons of stuff. I even have um, a giant box next to me. That's if I could have possibly pull it out where I actually have like hundreds and hundreds of flyers dating from 1997 to 2000 to like now, but like a huge array. But this is where my dad started at. And he's like in this tape for like a quick second. You can see him walking by. And, um, so when I got into like this rave music in general, I didn't know he was, he, he did all this. I just found it because I was on the internet at such a young age. And when I saw that event, because we love you in 2009, 
I asked if I could go, but I was like weary about it, but he was like, yeah, let's go. (laughs) And next thing you know, we were out in the desert with a bunch of cool, happy, hardcore DJs like To Be Happy, Lost Boy, uh, Super K, which if anybody from the LA scene comes in, they they know, they should know who they are. Um, but it was a mind blowing experience. It was um, it was Wait. the most raw. I'm sorry. What year was this? 2009. 2009. Wow. Yeah, this was such an interesting time because it was also kind of a mixture of the scene kid era also coming in. So you had a huge wave of kids that probably never wouldn't have otherwise gotten into the rave scene. Um, but scene kid culture kind of cultivated that with like Searle having remixes with like the millionaires and the medic droid and Jay Bigga and blood on the dance floor. They, those like dance was the only one that I recognize. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, that those were like all just mad scene kid electronic music bands. And so there was such a weird array of people coming together at that party. And that was my first one. And it pretty much impacted me from there on forward. And then my dad discovered that I, since my dad figured out that I liked that, he started taking me to even more parties. So from the ages 14 to like 17, I was pretty much just going with my dad to all these parties. Holy shit. That's nuts. So did he teach you how to trade and plur? He actually wasn't super that because honestly, the um, plur and trading thing, well, plur was a thing, but trading, especially with the like peace, love, unity, respect, that didn't come into the picture until about 2010 i would believe people didn't it might have existed a little bit prior but i definitely never really had that experience until later down the line um but he did have candy he had like this like a little organizer box full of beads and i was just playing with them as as a little kid but he was like yeah that was my candy box (laughs) (laughs) little did you know yeah it hit me by total surprise um, and at this point I've kind of suppressed where he is and now I'm teaching him things and what's going on now and everything. Yeah. I'm sure that so many things have changed like back from his day, e- even you, I mean, I've been raving since 2011. So, um, it- it's been a while back, but when I was getting into it, like you mentioned, um, that's when like bro step was really big. It blew up. Like, I feel like that's when yeah. Las Vegas became a, an EDM city to be honest. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah. After, um, after the tragic things that had happened with the LA EDC and it moving to Vegas, I think it was a better move for EDC to move to Vegas. Cause there's a lot more space to grow there as opposed to trying to fit into the arenas that are available here. Cause they're all like every arena is like crammed into a city. So there's not a lot of space for it. Besides dream state, that was the only one, like you've never gone to any of the EDCs like there in California. Nope. I have never been to Nocturnal, EDC. Um, oh man, I don't know that I don't know that many festivals. Um well, wait, and, uh, <laughs> I mean, not that it matters, but is that something that you are more open-minded to attend, or is it something that you that you don't really care about? Honestly, I'm more into it now. Uh Dream State in 2018 was, or was it 2019? Yeah, 2019 was my start into being like, yeah, okay, I'll try out festivals. Um, and I was like working more so I could like get those kinds of tickets because LA undergrounds are like 20 to $30 at the most. There's like these small parties called $5 Mickey Hollow parties where they just, you just throw five bucks in and you're in and it's kind of a free for all in there. But um, 
I was actually planning on going to the San Francisco dream state that was going to follow after in 2020. And um, I have friends that were going to go to EDC 2020 and everything. And I was kind of gearing up to try it out. Uh, But, you know, COVID hit and that kind of caused a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's a new year and, um, you know, things are a lot different. Just to be clear, you're in California. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm in SoCal near LA. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Our underground... Yeah, events taking place again? Because I think you guys are are completely open now, right? Yes, we are. Um, so there was kind of a small, even during COVID, there was a small wave of parties happening. I didn't go to them and most people weren't really going to them. It was kind of just people who were disregarding. But two weeks ago, um, uh, we had like we had the first major party that like all the LA candy kids were coming to. And it was a crossover with this event with this crew called Tiny World. Um, they're mostly a punk crew, but they decided to bring in some like gabber and hardcore DJs and, and like hardcore, uh, hardware people. And it was insane. It was, it was absolutely insane. Um, there was this one TikTok for a different tiny world party where they were like shooting fireworks into the freeway ramps. And there was like a couple thousand people there and it was going insane. It was like that, but it was rave music instead. But because it was tiny world, they had punks coming in candy ravers coming in and all these electronic hardware dudes so all like the techno heads were there too and we had a we had a warehouse but it was a break-in warehouse so it got busted we weren't supposed to be there anyways so we had like fat speakers fat speakers set up and um we were sound testing and the party's gonna start at nine but hundreds of people were already showing up that they like made it very obvious that there was something happening and oh, no. yeah, so the cops showed up and shut it down. But within 10 minutes, we got a new address. Everybody was taking a picture <laughs> of a guy's phone. I still have like the picture of this person's phone screen and you can see a bunch of cameras around it in like three, four blocks away. We just took over a street. We just took over a whole side street like a in a warehouse party? district. Yeah, basically turned to a block party. But it was like just we put pulled out turntables and then two fat monitor speakers and one big stacked speaker. And then everybody just parked their cars along the perimeter to kind of block off our own zone. And it went insane. People were climbing on the 18 wheelers that were parked there. People were climbing on the roofs. People were climbing on vans. People were setting off fireworks into the street. It was insane. After that party two weeks ago, LA underground is like back in full swing for sure. I was about to say, you guys are back. Like that, <laughs> yeah. that, that is a party. Oh my God. That is so wild. And, it was insane. Yeah. And it, to think that like those different um, cultures kind of like, uh, like meeting up at one spot, like you said, punks, techno heads, like, I think that's really, really awesome. Yeah. That's the best part about the underground scene, honestly, is that there's it's every party is always someone's first time and there's like a party every week or every two weeks every party has people who just heard about it from a friend so they decided to go on a whim nobody really plans other than the people throwing it and the people involved around the people who are throwing it a lot of people just go on a whim and every single time it's a life-changing experience for that person or that person who decided oh you should totally come this time and That's the one thing I think is the biggest difference between festivals and underground rave is that everything's on the fly. You just figure it out as you go. And that's like the super fun part. There is some, there is some pleasantness in being able, like when I went to dream state, 
I had no control over everything. Everything was in place and no, nothing was going to happen. Not, and we're not going to get busted. We're not going to have to move. We're not going to have to run. Right, just, right. I'm sure like that anxiety was like kind of taken away. It was kind of like, oh, it's like a safe spot. Yeah, it was such a safe spot. And um, it's not that I have a problem with it or like it's anxiety inducing, but usually I'm just more on alert. So when people are like, hey, let's like do something. I'm just like, nope, dude, I'm... I'm on, I'm keeping eyes out. I'm not, I'm not going to drink. I am going to, I'm keeping my eyes out, but yeah, I dream yeah, state. Yeah. I can just let go. And that's the nice part about festivals that I'm looking forward to actually trying just being able to let everything go and not get involved. Absolutely. And you know, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why people um, attend them is like having that safe place to escape, you know, whether it be like a three-day utopia or like even one day, like a one-day event, it's something that is going to keep on happening for those same exact reasons. So I did want to to talk to you a little bit um, because when I was talking to B, uh, B had mentioned that there was this explosion or not explosion, but that, that basically that she had this following of seeing candy kids. And when we were talking about it, I was like, what? Like scene kids are back. What do you mean? Because <laughs> I, I remember when it was like a thing, like my space mm-hmm. days. Oh yeah. And so when I, I looked it up, I mean, I, I was following the hashtag or I am following the hashtag candy on Instagram. And it was really interesting because it was showing me just candy kids, like loads of candy kids with candy. So I was like, did I miss out on something? Because I got into EDM or raving quote unquote back in 2011. And I just don't remember seeing seeing kids or maybe it's because of the location that I'm in or do you think it's like a uh, like an LA based thing can you give us like your thoughts on that so the biggest thing is that LA is just ridiculously massive it is just uncontrollably huge compared to literally anywhere else LA proper is like six times larger than like Seattle in like Vegas just LA proper let alone LA county um but uh, well, even when I was in the er- the early 2010s, there was a lot of scene kids, and then it, it definitely died out along with just the rate, the whole scene kid trend as a whole. But yeah. then, That's in, what I thought. yeah, right. And then uh, TikTok, TikTok did it for some reason in 2019, like right at the end of 2019 into early pandemic. Uh, whatever happened there, people started downloading like all these phone apps that were of old games like IMVU and they started digging through like old photo bucket dumps and Pinterest. Oh my God, Pinterest. And next thing you know, all of these kids are repeating history, basically. You know, they didn't have a chance to see it. So people who were like, were seen, moved on, but then people who are like, oh, I would never do that. That's so embarrassing. That's so cringy. Those people are long gone. So there's nothing stopping people from doing something that they would want to do again. There's not really that much pressure, especially when you're doing school at home, you're not going out that much. Parents are working, but you're still home at school. Like there's not many people limiting you. And I've noticed that over the pandemic um, on my posts, I'll be getting people with usernames like XX, Rar Kitten, XX, or <laughs> Elf, Elf Bunny Princess, period, period, like crazy names like that. And I'm like, whoa, this is coming back again. I, I think it's so cool because either way, even if there is like kind of a set aesthetic, 
there's still so much room for abstract creativity in the scene kid world. Cause when I was doing the scene kid thing, my hair was like down to here. I had like the, 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 the peacock spikes in the back and the yep. raccoon tails. It was like the ultimate abstract expression. So I think it's just giving people that opportunity again, without judgment, since there was like a gap for people to leave them alone. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my best friend and I were talking about it like seeing scene kids we think is really refreshing because when when we grew up it was like it was very clicky in high school like you had the skaters you had the preppy kids and you had like the the kids like us that listened to metal and dressed in all black or you know like it it was just so interesting because you could kind of tell what music people listen to from the way that they dressed and not that any of that matters now obviously but it was just kind of nice to see um, like being able to identify, for example, oh, this person listens to this because you can't necessarily identify uh, like a person that listens to EDM unless it's so blatantly obvious or <laughs> they wear like, you know, like candy or whatever. But I I just thought it was really awesome because I was like, I didn't know these two things would even go hand in hand. And <laughs> it, it, it's beautiful. I love it. It's so fun and creative. And it's it, it seeing kids in turn outside of the hyper pop wave they're also breathing new life into happy hardcore because happy hardcore has always been like the most ridiculously cartoony stuff and that's my section of the rave scene is like the most ridiculous candy wearing a ton of necklaces um what's the i like you know like pipe cleaners little colorful pipe cleaners i'll like spiral them and put them on my head and get little antennas or like oh, little pom poms. I'll put them in my hair, and since my hair is blue, I'll be like, "I'm a truffle tree from Dr. Seuss." <laughs> it's like those kinds of kids that do happy hardcore, and a lot of people kind of got more darker aesthetics and more streamlined aesthetics that really enabled the techno scene, which you might have seen like is really getting big on TikTok. Mm-hmm. But the scene kids are bringing all sorts of new life back into it, and it's they're posting songs that I'm like, I've only heard this song at a party on a record. And I guess somebody posted it on YouTube at some point. So I'm glad that is now on the TikTok circulation. And then, you know, duets and duets and reactions, the music spreading like crazy. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. It's like when you look at a scene kid, when I look at a scene kid, I'm thinking like, betray you um like all these all these like old school bands but then (laughs) i hear like all this happy hardcore and it's just like such a it's such a great surprise and i don't know i just i just love that like back back in my day it said (laughs) it was like drug free like hardcore like like you know all the x's and all that yeah great Yeah, <laughs> and now it's just it, it, it almost stands for like the opposite and you know whenever I would see a scene kid I would think oh this person listens to something really hard or really sad but it's the complete opposite with happy hardcore and yeah it's like not the edge anymore it's all about no. the fun yeah it, it's all about the fun and I really I think that's something that I really really love because I feel like it's this growing community or it's this community that's being kind of like shown into light I guess that community was always there yeah and i think also um them coming more alive on tiktok and then in the underground scene as opposed to closer to the festival scene is that the diy ethic of seeing kids trying to make their fun clothes as well as ravers making their own clothes it they mad goes hand in hand because like pretty much everything at a rave at like underground raves is just done with people sitting in their backyard 
making you their mm -hmm. props, people just pulling records in their bedroom um, and just scouting locations with a friend, just looking around, hoping it works out. And somebody just having to be like, okay, how do I figure out how to use Google voice to make an info line? And somebody asking a friend to do the flyer. It's all like just DIY creativity and, and especially with the clothing. And that invites seeing kids a lot. Cause like, um, like this shirt, it looks like the tide logo, Yeah, but it's actually this uh, crew called fresh jive. So like, this is just like a bootleg off of the tide thing, but it's fresh jive. And, um, like the raving crew that I'm a part of, it's called raving X. Um, we throw Wait, parties. Hmm? Oh, okay. I was going to ask ahead. you what's a raving crew, but you just said, it. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So rave crews. Um, so think of like how people are like insomniac or Q dance or something, but there's tons of them. There's like raving reploids. Um, 303 fam uh let's see who else um there's noise r us uh let's see then there's ours raving x there's uh god there's hot rod there's like so many crews that have come in and out at this oh uh project fantasy also uh yeah, wild I card they're all just these small crews and are these all based out of like la area or just like a nationwide okay yeah, they're most of these are LA. Three hundred three family has a Colorado, a California, and a Texas. Like, well, I don't say division, like it's official, but like the crew just kind of carries weight into those areas. I'm throwing parties, and they throw their brand on it. But um, yeah, that's kind of how LA parties work. Is you have your party crew, and then you guys kind of scout and try to make these things happen. And um, our crew, Raving X, we try to do more than just throw a party it's all about the artistic expression and we're funneling that into the people who come to our parties and it's getting more bigger like that. Um, I think I, we, I have some of our flyers in this box here, but um, we also make clothes and we get like elaborate clothes. It's not just like a print on a t-shirt. Mm. Um, like we're doing hand sewing tags, rubber tags on them, uh, lenticular designs with fuzzy flocking on them. I can grab a shirt really quick. Okay. This is like kind of just pulling into like how scene kids and just people on TikTok are getting more into the underground scenes because we all just make everything ourselves. So like we made this is our Raving X main shirt. We call it Pretendo. Oh, it's like the yeah, yeah, yeah. 64. <laughs> yeah. And then we have like a rubber tag on it and then um custom tags on the back that looks like the 64 controller. Oh wow, that's like uh, legit merch. Yeah, and, but we like did all most of this by hand or we got them like manufactured in like small amounts. Oh man, this one's peeling a little bit, but it's got it's like um puff paint type of thing. Raving X oh, uh -huh. logo. We have arrows going down the sleeves. Oh wow. And these are really uh they're they're like really um what's the word? Not retro, but I feel like the designs are they're dope. Like they're yeah, they're the goal is to like really bring back that um, retro energy again, rubber tags. And then this one was like the, the weirdest one to make. It's have you ever seen that scene from the Samurai Jack cartoon, the rave scene from Samurai Jack at all? No, I never watched Samurai Jack. Uh, well, they have a rave scene in it from like the original series and it's this uh, and it's lenticular. So they dance. Oh, I like that. Oh, and then the dope. blue edging is like fuzzy it's just stuff like that that um the underground rave scene is very particular for is just the insane diy ethic that everybody kind of puts into it 
I, you know what? And I, I can totally see that because I remember like in high school, seeing kids would, this is before skinny jeans were even made available. Basically seeing kids were, you know, sewing up their own, their own skinny pants, their own skinny jeans, mm-hmm. like shirts and all that stuff or DIY. Even for me, like making, um, like getting band tees and like cutting them up and patching them onto bags or DIYing that kind of stuff. Like, I feel like that has definitely trickle down uh, for sure. But also I think people appreciate that type of art and creativity more. I don't think it's as flashy or you don't have to have the best stuff. Uh, I don't think it's like that. Yeah. The artistic integrity is kind of what makes things more lasting. There is this event called Operation that started in like 1991 that went all the way to like like the early 2000s but they always made these and they always made it like the operation game that little guy that where you can pull the bones oh, out and stuff yeah, yeah there that was their logo but every event they would make crazy shirts and make crazy flyers for it that it's still un, in the underground scene still very legendary today with all like the cool things that they would make out of those and i think when people just talk about things like edc everything not in a bad way, but it's manufactured. It's everybody's experience. And it's like mm-hmm. every single year, it's not, I don't want to say the same thing, but it's just, it's going to be huge no matter what. It's not a one-time deal. Like uh, we could be selling a shirt or this one party has these designs and props that you're never going to see again because it was made for just that one party. Or they're inviting this DJ that like is never in this area, but they're flying him out and then they're here And it's just like the most unique singular experience you're ever going to have for years. And so everything that comes out of the underground scene is just everlasting constantly. Right. And I think, I I think there is a lot of um, truth to what you said. Absolutely. Because there are some people that I know that will be like, I'm not going to EDC this year. I'm going to do, I'm going to travel or do something else because EDC will always be there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that does, there is definitely some, some truth to that. And I I think with uh, smaller events or not, not even small, but events that are more underground for sure. I think they hold a little bit more weight in terms of being sentimental because you don't really know what to expect. Yeah. Like, um, let's see, there is, I can, I can recall so many very emotionally personal events and, like one that always stuck with me was this one called um, Techno State. And I have a shirt for that too. It's like the PlayStation logo, but it's bootlegged. It's really cool. Um, But it was like a tour of like Dutch hardcore DJs. So they flew them in from the Netherlands, but it got weirder and weirder as we were there. Next thing you know, LA and San Diego club kids that don't ever go to like Gabba raves. They're usually in like a literal club. Wait, what's a Gabba rave? Like gabbers, like Dutch hardcore, like the stuff. Oh, is that what they call them? Yeah, it's a yeah, like the really hardcore, like 180 BPM music. That's like called gabber. It's like the Dutch phrase "habe." It's like which is the word for that kind of music. So we just call it gabber here because it's with a G, G G-A-B-B-E-R. Okay. I've, I've heard that term like once when I met this girl who was, who was totally into that, but that makes so much sense now that you've explained it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so these club kids, they are usually just like literally in the clubs and they take after the late eighties, early nineties club kids 
as well, some of them are still around, like Rocky Raccoon. He was in New York with Michael Alleg and everything, and he was there for all that. But now he's in L.A. and he comes to our raves with his Club Kid crew. So we're at this hardcore like Gabber event that's like mostly just like all black. There's not a lot of candy kids there, but there's a whole assortment of people, and it's in a warehouse. The speakers are from like one end to the far end. It's like a massive wall of speakers. They're bucket speakers, so people are climbing inside of the speakers or on top of them. <laughs> And it was just so surreal. And the next thing you know, the guitarist from System of a Down comes oh in and he starts shredding while playing like a hardcore remix of, um, of, um, what's Toxicity? that? What's... Toxicity and one more, uh, the, what's like the Chop one? Yes. Chop Suey. Yeah. Those two songs. <laughs> oh, awesome. Oh my God. I wish I was it was there. such a, <laughs> it was such a surreal experience. And then in the next room over, they were playing like early 1992, um, um, breakbeat hardcore and like quote rave, like what they called this genre rave in, in that time frame, which they also called hardcore also, but it was like 1992 style. And then like late nineties, like really high speed hardcore. And the rooms were just fogged out like crazy. And it was just completely surreal. And that was in 2012. So it was 2012. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that many years later. Wow. I I was picturing it to be like, I don't know, like 2005 or something when you said that. Oh, man. Yeah. No, this was 2012. They carried the energy from those timeframes so hard. It's like ridiculous how cool they, how much weight that these things still carry. Yeah. And, uh, I want to go to one. I feel like I've been to, after talking to you, I feel like I've been to too many, I guess, mainstream or too many, (laughs) uh, I guess, massive events. Uh, The massive events are definitely great. And it creates a door for a lot of people because, you know, you see advertisements for them. There's so many Mm -hmm. people going to them. You always can find somebody who is going. I think it creates an awesome door, especially if you're like on Facebook and then you add a raver and you see like if they share an event and then you can add the people who are going to that event. I think it's a great daisy chain. Uh, Vegas doesn't really have that many underground parties, mostly because the city is so new that everything is monitored. LA is just so vast that it's really hard to keep track of everyone and everything in it. And, um, but they're constantly happening. Like on July 2nd, we had, there's a party called ready to rave by project fantasy. It's going to be really killer uh, that, that we already have going on tickets are $30 and that's it. And it's going to be from like eight to three or, or like eight to 6am or something. Yeah. Do they, do they monitor those events in terms of like age? sometimes the one from two weeks ago it was completely free it was just show up and go crazy um but some events they will be held at club venues but they're like smaller club venues so they're like 18 and up but kind of just show me your id so the camera sees that i'm looking at your id kind of thing or um if you know somebody you can get guest listed in regardless of your age i've had that happen for me a lot when i was like in my teens I would be able to ask somebody that I met at a different party to be able to slide me in. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much uh, a who you know type of situation to getting into parties when you're underage. Oh, for sure. Uh, here in Vegas, there's this place that doesn't exist anymore, but it was c- kind of like what you said, like a smaller venue. And that was like, I tell people that my first rave was technically like EDC 2011, but how I got even introduced to that scene was uh, my little sister. She was really into like cyber and I don't, Mm. 
Yeah. And she had like those, those like dread things. Oh yeah. The cyber lock. She was a cyber goth type person. Yeah. 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 And uh, she was like really into that. And I remember going with her to this little one and I just thought, oh, this is really, this is really nice. Like everyone's really nice. Everyone's really fun. And it was different from, you know, all the, the metal that I listened to and, you know, it's very dark. It's not the most optimistic genre. So like <laughs> leaving that little mini baby rave, I guess, was just a, a completely different feeling. And that's when um, I was, I had, I coined, it was so dumb, but my rave name that day was violet and because i love the color purple and mm -hmm. i still love it and anyways it's so good to hear that these events are still happening because i thought that they were over i was like oh that one uh, that i went to was the last first and last one i'm ever going to go to Nah, they're never gonna stop um even with the tiny world event like two weeks ago it's with with uh the with the pandemic i don't know how but it's like everybody who was underage miraculously was able to drive or became 18 so I was like spreading that party like crazy, posting on my Instagram story, anybody who I even remotely talked to that was like interested, like, oh yeah, I want to go. I immediately, it was like spamming them updates. Like, okay, cool. Here's the new flyer. Um, I'll, here's when the address drops. Here's the phone number in advance and all sorts of stuff like that. It's, it's, it's not going to stop because all of us keep rapidly spreading it. Even if it's like not in the public eye, it's just creating that community is just ever grow growing and you just ask one time and then you're kind of just pulled into it from there on. Oh, I love that. So do you, I know that you're, you roll with the, that crew, that certain crew, what was the name of the crew again? Oh, Raving X. Do all of you guys, I guess, kind of like spread word of the event or is that like solely your uh, job or task? Oh, um, it's so basically for the party, we all just kind of, pick up so for example our last party was called burst it was a bubble themed party and it was really cute we found a warehouse in downtown it's called vertex and it's two floors and we basically mapped it out together and then we kind of just worked on things as we could here and there like um i was i was mostly doing some promo for it I was then doing a setup for the party and then I was helping run the door and then I was helping because we had vendors too. So I was helping coordinate the vendors and stuff um, and moving them around to getting them situated. But then our main guy, Flapjack, he was mainly the, the one that spearheaded majority of it. He found our location. He was telling us where to put things. Uh, he had ideas. And then our friend Gulia and Cookies, they were doing all the prop designs like they used hula hoops and then cardboard to make these giant bubble tubes that were about like i think like six feet tall oh it's huge and, and then they used pool noodles and like bent them in like with two circles and then put one in the middle for like a bubble stick and so they shoved oh. those in there and then uh they used see-through balloons and like tied them all together to make them look like bubbles were flowing out of them Oh, how creative. Yeah, it's like, and then we had our friend Rabbit and um, and then Cookies moved over to doing the door and then working with security and stuff like that. It's kind of just like an interchangeable effort. And honestly, most of the crews don't exceed like 20 people. It's kind of okay. just like a little, it's just like kind of like friends that decide to throw stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's awesome. So do you... Okay. Well, I guess a little off topic. Um, I was spying on your YouTube 
So do you, do you DJ as well for like these events or your crew? Cause I saw that you did a live stream a couple of weeks ago, which well, I, yeah, love. I do. <laughs> Thank you. I do. Um, I mostly just do opening stuff. Um, just because I kind of, am not necessarily the biggest, most technical, well-versed DJ. Um, so I'll just play out like trance and stuff. Like I have a trance mixtape, like a literal cassette being produced right now. That's eventually coming out. Um, wow. But I usually just do kind of that stuff, but it's mostly just a hobby because I'm more into the uh, design and the advertising and the social aspect of it. But I do DJ here and there. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, in terms of, like you said, design, are you, is, is there something else that you're like working on for your crew or is it more for, for yourself, for Zach Poob? Hmm. Uh, Man, not necessarily at the moment. I have one project kind of going right now that's kind of basically going to be a forever lasting project. And it's um, so a lot of early late 90s and early 2000s rave was mostly spearheaded by people who were just throwing ideas out. So those things came and went, but there's little artifacts that they existed but otherwise, if you try to ask somebody, they'll just say, I don't know. Or I know the person, but like I've never seen them on Facebook or Twitter. And so a lot of things are kind of lost to the archives of just people's knowledge and could otherwise die out. And a lot of that is obscured rave fashion. There's clothing that people made for like one or two years. They churned out a bunch of cool designs of like wide pants, really cool t-shirts. And and just things of that nature. So I've been putting all of my energy right now into archiving that stuff. So like example, this uh, fresh jive shirt, you could have only picked this up at an event like 30 years ago. They were just made a couple of times. They weren't mass produced by any means. Mm -hmm. um, and then the pants that I'm wearing right now is this New York event called Orazi. And it was this uh, play on the word. It was like, her, the girl that was running it is a was a 17 year old girl named aura and she had this new york designer named bo baker backing her because she was in the rave scene and she had all these cool rave clothing designs and but the website the, the brand started in like 99 and it fell out by like 2002 at most like the website was up and they were selling dead stock up until 2008 but otherwise up from 2000 nine to 2002 they churned out like almost a hundred designs but they were either sold in a bloomingdale's in new york city uh like two different boutiques in the uk and then early 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 hot topic had had some designs in but otherwise that clothing and those designs are completely lost to time so my oh. main project admission has been like collecting as many pieces as I can find collecting as much information as I can find and it's that's been my huge effort right now um let's see I I've never that. used it you almost sound like a uh someone like on a documentary trying to piece all these little things of this puzzle <laughs> that's honestly kind of how it is because um, somebody they I can't remember exactly who they are at the moment. Um, but they're like they have like seventy five thousand plus followers. They're verified, and they hit me up asking me about details about this because they kind of vaguely heard about their clothing. And 
I was, I'm literally like the only person and maybe like two other people that they were able to contact to find any remote amount of information. And that's kind of something I don't want to let die is the creative culture that came from a lot of rave clothing. Oh man. What was the name of the, um, not, was not the brand. I know that you said the girl's name was aura, but it was from the party, right? Aura. Oh, Aura Z. It's like A U, like the word Aura, A U R A Z E. So Aura Z. It was interesting name. Like the joke was it like haha ecstasy like Aura's E. Get it? Uh, <laughs> just a goofy joke. Um, screen well, well, share. If anyone's listening who knows any info, <laughs> please reach out to to Zach. Please, thank I. Oh my God, please. Literally, it's been such an abstract adventure, especially like trying to contact people from the New York rave scene or uh, Toronto's rave scene. Toronto's rave scene in East Canada has been like super chaotic because most of them just don't ever hit people up or they're not really on Facebook or anything. And it's ridiculous. Is screen sharing possible? Share screen. Yes, I can. Because I have like a whole slideshow of like just some of the clothing that I've been able to archive. Can you see yourself, uh, my desktop now? Yes, I can. Perfect. Okay, awesome. I'll do this then. Okay, so examples are like this. Um, I had to like go onto the internet archive to dig these up and digging through random website assets and seeing what I could get to load or not. Yeah. So like abstract zebra pants, uh, these overalls, I have these, <laughs> I have these in both denim and khaki little raver overalls. Oh my gosh. I'm getting this like flashbacks to like trip pants. I know it's not the same thing, <laughs> yeah. but this is totally what I'm getting right now. Oh yeah. That's absolutely the type of vibe. Uh, I want these so bad. I love this little zap line right here. Uh, they're so good, but I have not been Those able to hunt tight. them down for years. And have you found anything like at a, a thrift store or like a Goodwill or Salvation Army? Like, I, I feel like maybe I have, I, have them. I have found a couple. So I used to work at a thrift store. I found like a certain, I found Jenko pants. I found kickwear pants. I found Matt gear pants. And there's so many brands that just came and went super fast. This skirt, actually my friend, Sarah, I found it on online and I immediately sent it to her. Cause she's like a skirt wearing person. This skirt, uh -huh. after so many years of me having these pictures, this one finally popped up online and she was able to get it. Otherwise, I've never seen it before. So it took about, yeah, like eight, nine years to get them. Uh, oh, that's nuts. Absolute missions. <laughs> I love these. Yeah, those are dope. Ooh. This panel skirts, the next mission. Love this panel skirt. Yeah, that one's really cute. Uh, let's see. This skirt, ah, it's so good. Uh, I, I want these ones too because I love this circular pocket right here. Yeah. Also, this is just such a cute picture. Uh, I love this so really much. Adorable picture. I got these pants. These little things right here, they blink. They're little flashy things that you can. They're so like in. They, it comes with a belt too that also blinks. It's really cool. And then this, oh the gosh. pit stop overalls. I recently got these also. Oh, nice! And were you getting all of these through? eBay or how are you finding them? Uh, so sometimes I, they pop up on eBay or they pop up on uh, Poshmark or Depop or something, but usually I end up just meeting people and I'm always like, my door's always open. If you ever have these, 
if I see that they have some one thing, I'll be like, if you ever want to sell or if you have any other stuff you'd be willing to share and let go, not just of Aura Z, but any other rave brands. Cause there's so many out there that were just are subject to time mm-hmm. that, um, eventually people will contact me and be like, Hey, I have these things. And then immediately I get them. And I think I have the biggest collection that anybody can have of them. I have about like 20 or 30, I have like 30 pairs of them now. So oh, it's wow. like, <laughs> yeah, my Rafe pants collection, like my big Rafe pants collection overall is probably at like 80 plus pairs now. It's oh my God. taken over an, an overwhelming majority of my closet. Like these star ones I got, uh, God, I love, I want, I want the zebra pants really bad. Ah, uh, I hope you find those. Oh my gosh. Me too. Okay. Hello. So yeah, that's like kind of the types of things that I, uh, have been hunting down and I still have like dozens and like up to a hundred more images of just pieces of clothing that have been documented, but nobody seems to even have anymore. And so that's been, that's basically been my life project right now is just, trying to do as much as I possibly can to preserve as much rave history as I can. Yeah, no, I'll definitely spread the word. So candy fam, if you guys have any articles of clothing like that, or don't want, or know someone, um, send them our way for sure. Let's <laughs> yes, help Zach out. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Do you, do you watch, um, there's a show called Hamilton's pharmacopoeia. I haven't. Oh, okay. Well, basically it's like this awesome, um, like chemist who tries to find like the history and origin story of like certain drugs and trying to piece everything together and almost plays like a detective because sometimes there's just no resources or there's no one who knows anything of this drug or there might be, but he has to like go through all these obstacles to find that well yeah, that's cool that's i'm like that's you but like rave <laughs> yeah. like rave fashion yeah that's like literally me is i'm just constantly finding the daisy chain like somebody sent me a screenshot of a um of like a catalog from this brand called from this company called univibe it was they're from the midwest but they sold rave clothes records accessories and they advertised parties but they had like a tiny section for orazi pants and i was like give me and that immediately sent me down a daisy chain of hunting down old websites and finding more and more from there so every little clue immediately sets off another trail oh i'm sure yeah i'll definitely spread the word if i get any info i will send it your way oh that'd be so great another thing too that i was really curious about um i saw that your latest video where you were dancing and i don't want to like say the improper term for that dancing but i've seen it before and i love yeah. it um <laughs> what, what is that called can you tell oh, us yeah. about it okay so it is a dance style called para para is there para para but para para is like in the japanese tone it's the japanese club dance style that originated from uh club culture from in the early mid 90s uh of of like a Italian disco that then later evolved into like Eurobeat or, you know, songs like, um, like gas, gas, gas and running in the nineties, those songs were popular in clubs in the early late nineties. Well, the mid to late nineties by at that point. And it's a dance style. That's 
people compare it to like line dancing where there's fixed choreography. You kind of stand in place most for the most of the time when you kind of step side to side. And then it's mostly arm movements. And yes, I've like yeah. tried to do it. And my boyfriend <laughs> makes fun of me. It's like, yeah, <laughs> but obviously not as bad as mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's such an interesting movement, too. Again, it's something that I've been passively trying to archive because it, it's a Japanese subculture that's not necessarily dying. It's still very much alive, but not nowhere to the degree that it was before, where it was like a nationwide sensation for a while. Now it's kind of like the dedicated diehards that and occasionally um, it's like affixed to 90s Japanese pop culture. So occasionally people on TV will be like, haha, the 90s, this is so tacky. We're dancing far, far, haha. Um, but it's a lot of fun because people will either do it to like Euro trance and Euro dance. Um, do you remember that video that went viral? Um, it was of like a whole bunch of um, like white kids and they were all doing it together in like these little pods. And I was like, this is great. And it was like all over Facebook. I have not seen that. That sounds interesting. In, yeah. They're dressed in all black in those, you know, parachute pants. And it looked like they all listened to metal, to be honest. Oh, yeah. They were listening to like, um, like happy hardcore. It was great. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's such a very particular thing. Um, and I post about it a lot on TikTok because it's very sub rooted into like, since it's rooted into 90, 90s Japanese culture, it's very nostalgic for a lot of people. And it's in rooted mostly in 90s Japanese subcultures for like their clubbing scene and uh, the sub fashion called Gyaru, where it was all about being like tan, bright hair, dressing kind of skimpy. It was all about being against Japan's social norms, excessive, like bold makeup, and it was kind of a part of that was like, here's this loud, high speed, bouncy music that is not typical in pop culture. And it was, it took off from there. So I have like magazines from that era. Um, so like this subculture, like Japanese Gyaru subculture, uh, this is Egg Magazine. And I have a ton of these. And it was very close tied to like Raven Club culture in Japan. It was all about like, being tan being sexy being different it's all about being as bright as you could stuff like that oh wow and I didn't know this was a thing holy shit yeah it was like such a huge turn in asian cult uh pop culture at the time so like on the back they have a trance rave party so in trance rave music so it's like <laughs> that's awesome yeah trance music eurobeat techno it was like such a huge wave over there and that was kind of like a a dance style that formed over it and it turned into like such a diehard thing that there's like tapes and dvds and official routines that everybody would learn but then different clubs would have their own specialty routines and it became a whole movement in itself and it's one of my absolute favorite things to <laughs> introduce people to and show people with all the nuanced words and all the unique things about it yeah i love it i didn't know that existed i, I wonder if that's where like like flash uh flash dancing came from it uh, kind of it kind of has that energy it's um yeah because you know all you put on the song and everybody most people would just know the routine and literally the movements are like stepping left and right and using your arms so it's really easy to get into so people would use it all the time to just do something by surprise i love <laughs> it oh my gosh i hope that comes back or becomes a thing here oh. 
this is totally random thing. I just remembered I had this on my desk because of that person that contacted me saying like, Hey, can uh, you find me more information on the Orazi brand? I bought a pair of pants a while back that was brand new, like dead stock. And this is like one of their tags. And it's like, email us at our address or give us a phone call. Like that's the only oh, way to contact wow. them was like email us. And um, their website was like, only a year old it was like they made a website way later like websites were the last thought of that time frame so it's oh, weird seeing nice. into that capsule <laughs> yeah holy shit yeah it's definitely like a like a flashback in time compared to now i feel like that's the first thing everyone wants you to go on is like their website or their social media. oh absolutely it's just all right we got to spread it online but the internet was the last thought of the time all you do with what people would use message boards for there's actually one for socal it's just called socal raves it's been around since like 96 or something um but it's an email messaging thing um where people just like respond to an email and it fires out to everybody subscribed to it so if anybody in socal was like hey party this weekend who needs a ride and then people could reply i need a ride and then everybody would be getting these emails that's a conversation among everybody because you know instant messengers and groups and group chats weren't available yet and it's still running now holy crap god damn times have changed yeah everything is so abstract and different now <gasps> ooh have you so you've been to have you been to nocturnal wonderland no, I have not. That is one that I have not been to, but I've been to Beyond and Escape. Here is a flyer for Nocturnal Wonderland 2001. This is oh one God. of the first Nocturnals. <laughs> oh my God, and the logo is completely different. Yeah, it was so different. And they used this girl for quite a long time too for their thing. Um, oh, that was like their poster girl? Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. nuts. And then you're going to love this one. A fold-out poster, a fold-out flyer for, which one is this? Is this EDC 2000? 2001. EDC 2001. This is like a Holy flyer. Crap. It, it I like how out. they stuck with the daisies. Yeah, oh, it's forever with the daisies. It's got cheap, like cheap uh, little 3D rendering technology to it. Holy, wait, first of all, where did you get this? Is this from your um, dad, your stepdad? I have just so many friends who are like, I hoarded flyers. So they give them to me or I just, and, or I, like I ask people if they have flyers and they give them to me. Yeah. I kind of just, because I've always been like, I am the collector. I'm always trying to preserve and share these things because they're like, oh, it's rotting in storage for me. So you can just have them. And I like share show these to people all the time when I can. No, that's yeah. great. It's history. It's so unique too, because, so this is obviously when they were in river in um, California and on the back, let's see, $25 pre-sale tickets are very limited. $25. After the first batch moves up to 30, then 35. The last batch of tickets will be $40. That's as expensive as EDC ever got. $40. Ticket. Oh my God. Tickets involves carnival rides and parking already. You don't have to pay for anything. $40 is your full ride. And so now it's like times 10 times that. Like yeah. You're people paying hundreds. That's why like mostly I didn't go is because they were so expensive. And in here, if you didn't, um, so if you went to the website, you couldn't buy your tickets there. They didn't say like, Oh, to get your tickets. You could, you don't get them online. You had to go to the record stores listed right here. So they have like oh, Southern wow. California, Northern California, and then a couple of spots outside of California, you could buy EDC tickets. I Otherwise that was the only way to like do it. Yeah, they're probably like all hard copies. I don't think the wristbands are even a thing yet. 
yep, you just had a tangible ticket. And that's pretty much how they always went. And I have so many like that. Uh, let's see. Oh, I have this one too. This one is EDC 2000. So this is the, this is the one that's in tandem with this tape. Oh, wow. And again, it's all like, just let's see. Yep. And then this one, this one only went to $35. It got $5 more expensive in 2001. $5. Holy crap. Just seeing like the flyer makes me laugh because it's like <laughs> our like editing and like softwares have gotten so much better. Yeah, they're so crazy and elaborate now. But the way that people made flyers was just like off the bat constantly. They just made a bunch of crazy stuff. Like here's right. this one. This one is what you, this is at um, Nocturnal Wonderland 1999. And this one's a book and it's like a full oh book of everything. Gosh. It shows you like a map of, um, let's see, where's the map? Each page is like dedicated to a different stage. The, let's see, the Funkadelic Lounge, Alice's House. Oh my god. The gosh. Labyrinth. You know what? This makes so much sense seeing that magazine because now when they send out the tickets, they come with um, the majority of them, or at least EDC tickets, they come with a pamphlet that, that's really um, close to that. Oh. It has like a map. It has a description of each stage, what kind of music they play, um, kind of showcasing the festival itself. So that makes sense. I think that's oh, where wow. it came from. They carried that energy. They even have a, yeah. I've never seen this outside of this one, but they like have a map of the fairgrounds that they're on. I guess yes. this one's at a water park. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. 1999 was held at a water park. Oh my God. That is nuts. They have so many unique little things. And then I have like fat stacks, like a billion little small flyers for all sorts of parties. Good ranging. Oh, is this a poster? Yeah. This one's a poster. I just have a lot of obscured rave content that holy crap I feel like you have to open up some like little shop or something and, and like hang those like laminate them or something and hang them and preserve them because that's that's like all history yeah it's and what's awesome is that I'll pull these out and I'll show them to people and they'll be like whoa I remember that party and then they tell me things that I would have never heard of otherwise like if they didn't right. tell me that oh hey when is when did this magazine come out uh oh hey <laughs> oh god okay so yeah somebody gave me this this is back i think this is from countdown uh recently i think this is 2019 but it's like the insomniac newspaper and whatever oh yeah i remember that yeah this is uh that was like so i have yeah they ha i have like everything from all sorts of eras or like um I went to a hardcore party in the Netherlands. It was when I, I used to live in Japan and that's how I got into like the par par club dancing. Oh, wow. I didn't know yeah. that. <laughs> I lived there for two years and I was uh, involved in the rave scene there too, because I knew a lot of people there already. Oh my God. How cool. <laughs> and then um, I know some people in the Netherlands too. And this event called Thunderdome, if anybody listens to like Gabber music, they know what Thunderdome is. This is like the Mecca of Gabber music. Um, but they had a, they stopped, they, like the event ended in 2012, but then, uh, on 2017, while I was in Japan, they're like, we're going to do one more for the 25 year anniversary. And I was like, bet. And so I did it and I flew to the Netherlands and I actually went to that party and it was only one day, but it started at like 8 PM and it went to 8 AM the next day, but it was on daylight savings time. So it jumped back an hour. So it was a 13 hour party. Holy crap. It was called Thunderdome. 
That's yeah, awesome. Thunderdome. If you look up Thunderdome, like after a movie, you're going to see some crazy stuff. People are like rattling on cages and stuff. It's like off the chain. Oh, There's more, more EDC flyers from like 2000. Just really goofy designs. Oh my God. This, this, this Nocturnal Wonderland, 1997. Nocturnal Wonderland, 1997. Holy shit. That's so crazy. It looks so trippy too, the way they did it. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, it, it's really interesting to see how things came from from back in the day. Oh, here's a parody of Thunderdome from 1999 that was from in the Bay Area, but they have like little candy kids drawn on it and everything. It's all just oh, like wow, a, it's cute. literally a drawing. Yeah, this is in Berkeley, and there's just there's so many. I could go for like hours just going through all these flyers, but it's again like me being the archivist that I am. Yeah. No, I'm serious. I think you really should look into maybe um, like having some type of space or something, because I, I feel like that stuff needs to be shown, not put away like in a box, you know? Yeah, I try to share it wherever I can. Like um, a lot of people who are, excuse me. So I've noticed with like kind of the scene kid rise on social media and people getting into alternative fashion more than ever before the supply is kind of not meeting the demand in some, in some directions. And part of that is like wide leg rave pants back in 2009, all the way to like 2018, it was not that hard to get them. Um, if you knew the right people or if they popped up on eBay, it would be for like 20, $30. But, um, you know, since like Depop era came out and then someone's trying to sell a literal baby shirt as like, a shirt Vint- yeah like vintage rare crop top and then they're selling it for like 60 dollars when it's literally a baby shirt um th- that kind of thing set in now whenever people come across rave clothes like pants that i have and i've sold them and i bought them again in a different size like in the future i like never paid more than like 50 dollars for a pair of whatever now people are finding literally any janky pair of slightly wide leg pants and they're like oh i know that brand and then they sell them for like 200 dollars Right. And monetize. Yeah. And so because of that, people start hiding their information to like everything now because they're like, uh, Depop kids are going to ruin it or like weird, like, like a trending trend chaser kids are going to ruin it. Um, but I like try to not let that stop me because in the end, regardless of how much information I do share with people, I think only the right people who truly like something are going to be the ones to actually utilize it. So it becomes, I want it to be less of a secret and not gate kept, but also I don't want to put it, but like if somebody asks, I will tell, but I'm not going to put it on blast on a public platform, but people will, but there are people who get asked and they still won't tell people. And that is not my thing. I love getting younger people involved. I love sharing as much as I can just to get people right into the excitement of it. Yeah, and I think that's how it should be. I don't think it should be like a, a kept hush-hush uh, for my eyes and ears only type of thing. I think <laughs> it, it's meant to be loved and shared and um, yeah, keep keep doing what you're doing because I think that's really important and that's how you preserve history. Yeah, and Rave is just, it's just so abstract. Like if you look at the West Coast scene, West Coast scene was pretty much the only, the only candy kid scene up until like 2009 um west coast was was like um it was the flag for the west coast was like 
extra wide fat pants, uh, massive candy, happy hardcore and gabber. And then the East Coast um, was known for break B and bass music and caffeine pants and b-boying and liquid what, what dancing. What are caffeine pants? Sorry. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so ca- there's all sorts of different. So actually, I can just show you really quick. So what I'm wearing are like really wide leg fat pants. They're like 60 inch. They're like 60 inch bottoms. So like, look at these. They're huge. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that is a pinnacle of like the West Coast scene. Um, That's where most of the production for massive wide leg pants, because I have a ton of them, that's where they mostly catered to. But then there is this brand called Caffeine. And that brand Caffeine um, was a record label uh, promotion service and they made clothing. But Caffeine was like kind of baggy pants. They had some really cool architectural design. Like this is like reflective uh, piping and they had like cool embroidery on them, but they weren't that wide and they'd always, you could always cinch them at your ankle, but they were pretty wide, Ah, but they cinched and they're usually synthetic. So these were the pants that were very common on the East coast. And so people would be break dancing, doing um, liquid dancing, a lot of like glow stick flow. That's what my sister do. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a very iconic. I mean, obviously people did whatever they wanted, but it was a very iconic uh, aspect of um, of the East Coast scene. While the West Coast was very um, iconic for like massive candy and crazy stuff, and then like the Canadian scene um, was very was was like kind of in between. But they also had a lot of it was their trance scene was like bigger than no other. And then the New York scene was, um, it was still very club. So it was a lot of tech. It was a lot of like clubhouse music. A lot of uh, drag was involved. Oh, and so it was still like, like party monster. Yes. Yeah. That was based in New York. And so, yeah, that, that energy carried for a long time. And so all these regional differences in rave is like my, one of my favorite things. And um Oh man, I'm trying to remember exactly why I got on that tangent about it. <laughs> uh, you were talking about how like um, that was like each like LA's like the West Coast flag or their uh, oh yeah yeah everything had like their own iconic thing staple. about them, and that's again that's also a bridge that I like to uh, try to bring together because otherwise people wouldn't really know about those things. Um, so when uh. So I get when I was at Dream State, a guy from New Jersey showed up there and I, he was wearing a, a caffeine sweater. And I was like, oh, yo, yo, okay, yo. <laughs> and he was like, hey, that's cool. And he started showing me all of these party crews that like the archives of their stuff that they have on like uh, old web forums, like candykids.net. That was an old forum or like fourravers.fm. He's like, yeah, there was this crew and this crew. And here are these photos from like the East coast crew. And I'm like, Whoa, no way. But he's like, I'm never, this is my first time in California. I'm here for just dream stakes trance. And I was like, yeah, here's all this information about like the West coast scene. And he's never heard of it. And it was like this huge crossover of two scenes that like literally never met, like never mesh. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Like different forces kind of coming together. <laughs> yeah. I think just preserving that whole culture is like one of the most important things. No, absolutely. It's so crazy. Like hearing you talk about all this, cause it kind of, uh, 
it makes me kind of like nostalgic, like kind of like how we were talking about earlier, like different people listening to different music. It's really interesting to see like people within that like umbrella and there's still like so much diversity within that one uh, like genre. Yeah, I don't know. It just blows my mind because <laughs> yeah. people say that, you know, EDM's like all the same, Raven's all the same, but it's oh, really yeah. not. It's a genuinely, I believe that Rave is one of the most raw types of art artistic expression out there. No matter who you meet, they're always going to be a little bit different between it and their interpretation of it and what, what mean and what means to them is going to be very different. And their favorite genres and styles are going to evoke a different feeling from them. And that's my favorite part about it. Whether it's someone's first time or they're like a 20 year veteran, there's still like something that absolutely enamors them with it. And seeing those new things, I'm always learning something new from somebody, somebody I've never met before that has a really cool movement that they're doing. Like I just met somebody two weeks ago, uh, his name's Enlightened Virgo, but he's like making his own mixtapes. He's making his own clothes. And I was like, whoa, how have I never met you before? You live here. You live in LA and I've never met you before. And he's like, oh, I wish I knew. And that was exciting. And it's just like that every single party. I'm always like, oh my God, amazing new people and amazing new things that I'm learning every single time. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing is that it definitely brings everyone together. I can't imagine like something so underground because then I feel like a lot of people a lot of people that attend are local. So it's yeah. more tightly knit and, and you're able to make friends that you can actually see. Yeah. It's always like, cause I hear, I have friends who do go to EDC and they always tell me about like somebody that they met one time and they've never seen them again. And that part's kind of fun too. Or it's just like this mysterious person that you'll always think about, but Knowing that even if you don't get that person's information, someday you will see them again at a random party, maybe because it's for the same DJ, it's the same crew throwing it, or it's in the same location, that someday you'll just see that person again. That is one of the best feelings ever once you finally see them again. And you're like, oh my God, you're here. What? No way. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> it's like a long lost uh, friend for sure. Yeah, man. And uh, see, and again, but people like creating art, they're, make, they're constantly creating art with like their music too. So like I have these massive drawers of CDs that I've collected over the years, whether it's from Japan or like a club release. I have a whole chunk of my drawer dedicated to like local DJs mixes. And I've hit up DJs being like, oh man, I still have this mix CD you gave me in 2010. And like, whoa, you still listen to that? I forgot <laughs> I made that. And like, yeah, dude, it's so good. Your mixing in that is A plus the way you're interpreting that music so good. Like I, when I listen to a mix, I listen to how they're mixing it, how that transition goes, what choice in music, the key that they're playing into. That's kind of like part of like the more DJ mindset, but it makes those mixes feel that much more personal too, because you think about how like the way that those tracks mix together and the vocals are interpolating between each other. And so you're singing two songs at once and it's like the best feeling because you know you can only hear that right there. So if you hear that song anywhere else, you're thinking about how that DJ mixed them together in your head while you're listening to the song normally. It's it's like my favorite part. Everything is just like a little bit of artistic expression. And then when you bring that up to them, they're like, oh yeah, I did exactly this in that mix 10 years ago. You reminded me. 
So it's just like the memories are forever there, no matter how hard you try to get rid of them. It's like, nope, they're here. There's going to be someone to remind you. There's going to be somewhere to remind you. It, as much as things change, they're always going to be the same in the uh, underground scene. Absolutely. And you know, like pretty much what you just said, like reminds me of candy, to be honest. Like that's yeah, yeah. How I feel about candy. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, Zach, can you share some of the best candies ever you've received or made? Oh yeah, here. Let me uh <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so this is my candy bin, my drawer, my drawer of candy. Oh my god. So it doesn't look like I comparatively have a lot to like some people because I don't do cuffs. I can show you all of the cuffs that I have because the, the, the underground scene doesn't really do cuffs. Oh, okay. So like, let's see, one, two, three, uh, four. Will they all five. fit on your arm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can fit them all in one arm. Uh, See one. Uh, there's one more in here. I just don't know where it is. So basically, I have one, two, three, four. I have six cuffs total. Oh That's my gosh! All, all I have for cuffs, but but for LA Underground, generally, it's all about the singles, like the just oh, okay. single little loops. It's all about having unique beads and trying to build off of those in the most creative way you can. And so, like this one it's got a fuzzy uh, butterfly on it and it's got little ball beads and little strawberry beads oh, yeah. um yeah. let's see this little dude red stars and tri beads and it's got a little candy with heart eyes on it <laughs> and then oh man the sonic one my friend gave me he these he got these little cubes from a hair supply store they're basically supposed to go on braids but he just like put oh, stickers on them and then a little Sonic McDonald's toy on it. Yeah. For, um, for our listeners that are, that can't see, can you kind of describe that one for them to give them a visual? If you don't oh mind? yeah. So this Sonic one is, um, it's got like heart beads with a bunch of little perler beads in between and as well as micro beads with, uh, orange tri beads. And they comes with these little cube beads that he put little blue stars onto them. So he basically made up his own type of bead designs. And that's kind of the best part about this whole thing is like, uh, and then these little yellow beads, these are for parrot toys. They're called Marbella beads. And oh my God, how creative is that? Parrot <laughs> yeah, it's the best thing ever. Um, I popped this little ball out of like a, uh, like, you know, those little baby toys where you push it around, it goes pop, 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 pop. It's got like a little dome on it. I just oh. cracked one of those open and just put this ball on it. Oh, like those <laughs> little vacuum scooter things for kids? Yeah, and they go pop, pop, pop as yeah. you're pushing them along. That's, I do that. I bust those open all the time. Um, let's see, this little clown here. Um, the Like this dude came off of a baby toy. It's like a chain of them. It was supposed to be like a teething thing. So I'm like, mm, nope, I'm going to put that on something. Oh, I love that. Oh my God. It's so oh, innovative. Man. Right. And then these ones came from another popping ball toy. Uh, Chunky necklace with a bunch of hair beads on them. And then oh my gosh. bubbles. It's a little star bubbles thingy. So you could pop this open. <laughs> it's that's my favorite part about candy. I I'm 
Oh, yes. And this one, this is a combination of parrot toys, a baby teething toy, and just a little toy rope that was made for kids. I, I grabbed all of this from a, like a thrift store and I made a little necklace out of them. And it's one of my favorites to wear at all times because it's a little choker. It fits great. It goes with everything. I love that. What I like about all of these so far is that they don't look like your traditional candy. Yeah, it's as creative design as you can possibly get. Grab one thing and then try to build around it. Yeah, like a, for sure. The little pink pill. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> this one is um, for like a science kid set and they're supposed to be able to spin. But instead, I just put like a bead on. I put a, a hair tie bead on there and I have them on two sides. So you put them on and then you got like a little stack on there. Oh my God, that's so cool. abstract stars. I never thought to do that. Oh, one more extra, this one. So these ones are already like tri beads and little flowers and little donut beads and spiral beads. It's every type of bead I could think of. And then this thing came from a teething toy, but I drilled through the sides of it. And then I just put matching beads in it so I can just spin it. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh, it's like a fidget. Spin yeah it's little little fidget toys and that's kind of like i i do with all my candy so every piece of candy in here is like not like the other at all whatsoever this is a giant button these this this white button and this green toy they don't go together but they just happen to fit so i was like well i'm gonna make something with that <laughs> so now i just wear it on my upper arms and i wear like a ton of candy it's just up here and i got a little boop button i love that oh my god it's like this medallion on your arm yeah oh man this and then uh let's see Wait, if i can so, just show it so you made all of these right is that uh correct? not all of them i've made a pretty okay chunk of these but some of these i got from people but a lot of them i have made myself um because and so basically what happens is i go to my friend's house and the thing is that we all of us have pulled like thousands of dollars into buying beads in bulk in like what? a ridiculous, like a ridiculous amount of beads. I cannot express like the ridiculous amount of beads. Yeah, let me see if I can pull a picture of them really quick. Uh, do you just get them like on Amazon, or do you get them from? We have wholesalers that we that like Jeez. the where the where like if you go to Joann's, we'll like buy beads there, but then we will deliberately then find the manufacturer. And then put those up and then just buy those. Putting other candy kids to shame. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's just, I just let, like, I don't know. There's just, there's never a limit for me. There's never a limit. Whenever I, whenever I see something that I want to do, I immediately want to do it to the absolute, like most possible. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. See. Okay. So here, I'm going to show you my screen here. Holy like, crap. These are all like just mixtures of beads. They're like, like a, I think like 20 pounds worth of each type of bead there. And then here's it at another angle. Starting here, these are just like individual bags of different types of small amounts, all of this right here. And then it goes back into all the bulk beads over here that like literally it's like a hundred plus pounds of beads in some of these. And we oh just take over God. a carport to make candy holy crap if you guys are just listening to this this episode look this part up on youtube because it's insane like what jack is showing me <laughs> he's showing me like a screen share of all the candy like in these bins and it that's like the ultimate candy party 
Yeah, it's it. Do you know that saying where it's like people are more like are most creative within their limits type of situation? No, uh, I don't know that saying. Ah, uh, man, yeah, it's like a it's a kind of like a general phrase where people are like people are creative within limitations, where it's like okay, you have mm, a set oh, amount okay. of tools. And then people can genuinely make something no matter how little you give them something. I, I've, heard, I've heard something <laughs> similar, but with like socioeconomic class. Yeah. yeah. And so like no matter, basically just no matter what you're doing, you'll be able to make something of it. We broke that limit. We are unlimited now. So it was actually kind of difficult because they're like, there's so much everywhere that we're forgetting that certain things exist. So we're like, oh, I can't figure out a good pattern. I can't figure out what 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 bead colors would mesh well with this one. And then you realize it's across the it's like across the fucking carport <laughs> in a different box, but you have 60 other bags of beads in front of you that you completely forget. So now you're unlimited and you're forgetting that things exist. So we, it's almost a shot in the foot, but that just means that we can spend even longer just making all sorts of candy. So it's a, it's a weird up and down. <laughs> No, no. Um, I have a, a, I call it my random bucket with random candies and I'm lazy and can't think. And it's that late at night. I just like take a scoop and put it down and I just string whatever I picked up. And it usually ends up being the dopest candy. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's just funny how stuff works that way. It's again, it's just the whole wave of creativity, just nonstop trying to do as most, the most you can out, not to out, not say outdo yourself, but just like I did something, I can easily do something else. That's even cooler. It's eternal cycle. And that's pretty much where I'm at right now is I just want to keep it going. Yeah, for sure. I think that's like your creative brain, just like going hundred miles per hour, <laughs> not wanting to stop. Oh my God, Zach, we're like past an hour, which is completely fine. But I wanted to thank you for sharing all of that and for being a guest on the podcast. This was insane i feel like i've learned so much stuff but also revisited a lot of things um from like seeing kids to different types of music to just like the underground like la rave scene to to like everything like it's this episode has been so great i'm so glad that you enjoyed it i've been wanting to be able to share this kind of stuff on a larger platform for a really long time uh, TikTok has always been my one place to be able to do it. But of course, you know, the for you algorithm is not always so forgiving. So I think this is a really good place. Yeah. Algorithms, yeah they're rough. They're, they're either your best friend or they're your enemy. <laughs> yeah. Right now it's uh, being a little more of an enemy than an ally right now. So I really appreciate having, being on here. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, um, Zach, plug in where people can find you. All right. So I'm on my Instagram. Um, I post mostly aesthetic outfits there. It's uh, at poob, P-O-O-B, period, underscore. And my TikTok is also poob, period, underscore. But my Twitter, because you can't have dots in it, um, it's poob, underscore, underscore. Um, I'm also on Facebook. I mostly just kind of meme post on there, but a lot of raves that I'm attending, a lot of my promoters are on there. Um, you could always just find me on there at, uh, let's see, what's my Facebook URL real quick? Uh, let's see. My Facebook URL is uh, poobd, so like P-O-O-B-D, so facebook.com forward slash P-O-O-B-D. And those are all the places you can find me. Oh, and my YouTube. If you just look up Zach Poob, that's, you will find it up pretty quick. Hell yeah. And I'm going to drop all those links down below so everyone can find you. And also, if you know anything about, was it or 
Orazi. Did I say it right? Yes. yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know anything? Know anything about that? That era, clothes, donations, whatever. Send them our way, and we'll uh, help Zach out with all his archiving and collecting. Please and thank you so much. (laughs) Hell yeah. Thank you so much, Candy Fam. We'll see you guys next time.